Hey, welcome to the Crosspoint Church Podcast. I'm Rob Chartrand, the lead pastor of the church. We're a church that's for the city in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, and are passionate about helping people find their way back to God. Hey, if you're new, I'll have a bit to say at the end of the podcast, but in the meantime, let's listen to this Sunday's message. Is the Bible relevant today? Does it still have stories it can tell us? Sometimes we find it hard to relate to the people and the cultures of the Holy Scripture. We find it hard to believe that these were everyday people like us, with struggles that they encountered from day to day. That is, until they met the real live God, just like we still can today, and everything changes. This isn't a story of likely heroes and legends. This is. This is. This is. This is. This is. This is. This is us. and I am the children's director here at Cross Point, which actually means that all of the mamas in the crowd uh, give me really great job security. Uh, so it is wonderful to be celebrating you today. Um, now, if you don't recognize me, that's because on Sunday mornings, I'm usually downstairs with the kiddos. Uh, so I'm a little bit out of my element right now. Uh, normally, when I teach on a Sunday, I'm wearing a costume or using random character voices, or doing all sorts of things to engage a crowd with a four-minute attention span. Uh, So this is going to be a little weird for me, uh, but I am excited to be sharing with a group of people who are hopefully able to go more than 10 minutes without getting bored and somehow ending up upside down in their chairs. Here at Crosspoint, we are embarking on a three-week mini-series called This Is Us, which is, of course, a very creative and original title that we will take full credit for. Uh, We wanted to do this mini-series because when we read through the Bible, we often encounter characters who are larger than life. You know, characters with stories that we don't think we can relate to. In reality, these characters are real people with real problems, who all experience the one real God. These are not stories of legends and likely heroes. These are the stories of us facing real-life issues with a real-life God. This is us. To kick off this series, we'll be talking about Moses, who is perhaps one of the most well-known heroes of Scripture. As some of you may already know, our theme for Kids Capers Summer Day Camp is Hero Headquarters, uh, which means that I have spent the last number of months trying to immerse myself in fully understanding the life of a hero. Uh, You know, for Kids Capers training, I'm actually considering just screening all of the Avengers movies, uh, you know, to give our team a really good sense of what it means to be a hero. Uh, side note, we are still looking for maybe 14 more adults to join our Kids Capers team, if you're interested. I'm just saying. Uh, so through my extensive internet research, I have been able to define a hero as a person who has done something brave or good. Uh, they may be admired by a lot of people. Uh, perhaps they're distinguished by exceptional courage, having special achievements, abilities, and qualities that make them an ideal role model. And so I think by this definition, we can all agree that Moses was definitely a hero. You know, one commentary says that 
Moses was a godly man who towers above all other persons in the Old Testament period. If we were to look at Moses' resume, it would list Moses as a lawgiver, judge, prophet, teacher, intercessor, mediator, priest, shepherd, miracle worker, founder of a nation. Um, if we were to look at my resume, uh, before I came to Crosspoint, some of my more notable roles included a newspaper deliverer, a Bible college student, and a booster juice employee. Uh, so although some may have considered me a hero on those four days a year that it gets above 30 degrees outside, I think Moses' accomplishments appear to be just slightly more impressive than my own. It's easy for us to look at Moses and place him on a pedestal. We read stories of this guy who spoke with God face to face, and it seems natural for us to put him in a totally separate category of people who are more spiritual and, you know, more holy than the rest of us. But the reality is that Moses had his own shortcomings. He had his own character flaws, his own setbacks. You know, if Moses had had his way, he never would have led the people of Israel out of Egypt. When Moses was first called by God to be this great leader, he was totally overcome by fear. He was paralyzed at the thought of having to lead an entire nation out of the clutches of slavery. You know, I think fear is a pretty familiar emotion to most of us. At one time or another, we've all experienced the, the tightened chest, the erratic heartbeat, the sweaty palms, the tensed muscles, all of which indicate that danger is near. And our body is preparing its fight, flight, or freeze response. Last summer, I was spending the evening with a friend who lived in Westwood. For those of you who aren't familiar, uh, Westwood is an area where it's not uncommon to hear stories of criminal activity, questionable human behavior. Uh, like, you know, the one time that my roommate came home to police cars and helicopters circling the neighborhood in search of a guy who was walking around with a can of beer in one hand and a rifle in the other. So I'm with my friend at her house in Westwood. Uh, we're home alone when the doorbell rings. And we're not expecting anyone, so we choose to ignore it. The doorbell rings again, so we go peek out the front window to see who's there, and no one is there. Now, my friend and I are both a little concerned at this point because Rifle Guy is in the back of our minds, and as we're sitting there wondering what do we do, the side door rattles. Someone is trying to get into our house. Now, my natural instinct is to freeze. In an attempt to save my own life, my body becomes immobile. Uh, my friend, on the other hand, her natural instinct is to fight. And so for some reason, she is placing a bright purple kitchen knife into my hand and stalking over to the side door, ready to take on whoever is about to break into this house and murder two unsuspecting 20-year-old girls. She, in this moment, my friend is so driven. She's driven by the need to protect her house and potentially her own life. 
Now, I, on the other hand, find myself wishing that my parents had put me in Taekwondo as a kid, uh, because all those years of piano lessons and musical theater seem really useless at this point. <laughs> so, with our heightened senses, we can hear the leaves outside crunching, and whoever is out there is now on the move. So, we follow the sound back to the front of the house, and knives in hand, we cautiously peer out the front window, and glancing at the next door down, we see an overzealous pizza delivery guy walking up the steps to what he must now realize is the correct address. The neighbors gladly accept their pizza, and the delivery guy drives away, totally unaware of the trauma he has just inflicted upon two unsuspecting college students. So, my question for you is, what is driving your fears today? What fear is sitting in the back of your mind, persistent in its refusal to leave, no matter how much you try to ignore it? As we read through Moses' story, we'll discover three driving forces that caused him to live in fear of the task that God had called him to. Before we dive in, why don't you join me in prayer? Father, I thank you for the unique ways that you are going to speak to each of us today. Would you open your eyes so that we might know you more fully and understand you more deeply? Uh, help us to identify the fears that are holding us back and make it clear how you want to respond to our fears today. We love you and we praise your name. Amen. Uh, now, if you have a Bible or a Bible-carrying device with you, uh, you can turn to Exodus 3. So what's happening right now in the story is Moses is a shepherd uh, tending the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro. He has just come to Horeb, which is the mountain of God, uh, when an angel of the Lord appears to him from within a burning bush. Now, this strange sight gets Moses' attention, so he goes over to investigate. And the story picks up uh, Exodus 3, verse 5. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the, that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now, go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. So we've just been introduced to the call that God is placing on Moses' life. God has just outlined his plan to save the Israelites from their slavery in Egypt. And this is a plan 
which ends with the Israelites dwelling in a prosperous land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And God has chosen Moses as the guy who's going to help make this happen. This is amazing. Because of this call, Moses will be regarded as one of the greats of Scripture. You know, a godly man who towers above all others in the Old Testament. Because he leads the Israelites out of Egypt, Moses will be responsible for the redemption of God's people. But Moses doesn't see this bigger picture. He doesn't know the many successes that will define his life from this point forward. Instead, he is overcome by fear. And so Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Now this is the first of many times that we will hear Moses reject the call that God has placed on his life. To be fair, if I found myself in Moses' position, I probably would have responded to God in the same way. As we read through Moses' story, we see three distinct forces which drive his fear, and these are forces which also drive our own fear today. The first one we discover is that our circumstances drive our fear. See, God has just told Moses that he has heard the cry of the Israelites, and he wants to deliver them from their sufferings. But the Israelites have been slaves in Egypt for hundreds of years. Pharaoh is used to having these slaves around, performing all kinds of labor at no cost to himself. Exodus 1.13 says the Egyptians ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field. There are over two million people who would be part of the Exodus, who would be escaping from slavery, and there is no way that the king of Egypt will let them go. Not only that, but Moses didn't exactly leave Egypt on good terms. Uh, in the second chapter of Exodus, Moses murders an Egyptian, buries him in the sand, and crosses his fingers hoping that no one sees what he's done. Uh, of course, he's soon found out by an Israelite who now considers Moses a self-righteous jerk who thinks he can rule as judge over Israel. Uh, Moses is hated by the Israelites. The Pharaoh wants him dead, and he is forced to flee to the land of Midian. I think Moses knows not to expect a welcome home party if he ever happens to return to his people in Egypt. And so knowing all this, Moses logically responds to God's call by saying, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Moses is surrounded by an unfortunate set of circumstances which practically guarantee he will fail if he attempts to accomplish this crazy task God has set before him. But God responds to Moses' question of who am I? And he doesn't say, well, Moses, you're a leader. You are a prophet, a priest, or a warrior. No, God simply says, I will be with you. God knows the circumstances. He knows the situation Moses finds himself in right now. But God doesn't suggest that we will not confront fearful realities in our lives. 
He simply promises not to abandon us to our fearful circumstances, but promises to go with us through the dark night of fear, danger, and uncertainty. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has just promised that he will be with Moses. And then he gives further assurance by providing a sign in chapter 3, verse 12. God said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. You know, right now, God is saying, Moses, you can trust me. I know this seems impossible. I know these circumstances are causing you to be afraid. But do not fear, for I am with you. Of course, that's not quite good enough for Moses. Because there are other forces which are driving his fear. Other forces which drive our own fears. As we continue in the story, we see that our fear is driven by other people. You know, maybe Moses considers God's offer for a minute or two. Maybe he thinks to himself, okay, God says that he'll be with me as I go to lead the Israelites out of Egypt. Maybe I can do this. And if I do, then I will definitely win coolest dad of the year award, so maybe this is worth it. Okay, yeah, I can do this. I'm on it. But then Moses remembers who he's up against. He thinks of the Pharaoh, this king of Egypt sitting high on his throne, watching the people of Israel build a beautiful city for him to rule over. You know, there was no such thing as vacation time. There were no long weekends. There was no workers' comp for anyone who dislocates their finger while on the job. Pharaoh is not a man of compassion or understanding. There's no way that he'll even consider Moses' outlandish request to free the Israelites. God himself says, the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. So we see Moses' fears and our fears today are driven by other people. But a villainous Egyptian king isn't the only person that Moses is up against. In order to do what God has called him to, he must face the entire Israelite nation as he suddenly reappears after 40 years spent out in the desert. You know, he imagines himself going up to them and saying, Hey guys, it's me, Moses. Remember me? You know, I'm the guy who was raised as a prince in the Egyptian palace, the guy who murdered that Egyptian and then fled to the desert. I know you haven't seen me for like 40 years, but I'm back now. Surprise! Also, crazy news, while I was being a shepherd out in the middle of nowhere, God came and spoke to me through a burning bush, and now we're all going to walk out of Egypt together. Sure, you've been slaves for like 400 years, but you can just follow me. We're going to go now. Now, no matter how convincing that speech may be, um, Moses is anticipating disbelief and doubts from the Israelites. They will not believe Moses or listen to what he has to say. Surely the Israelites will respond by saying, the Lord did not appear to you. From what he can tell, God is asking Moses to do the impossible. 
doubt has crept in and his fears arise once more. But God responds and he says, Moses, I will go before you. Chapter 3, verse 20 says, When you go to the king of Egypt and ask that he let my people go, I will stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them. After that, he will let you go. God has now given Moses assurance of the Israelites' liberation. But then he goes one step further and he says, I will make the Egyptians favorably disposed towards this people so that when you leave, you will not go empty-handed. Every woman is to ask her neighbor and any woman living in her house for articles of silver and gold and for clothing, which you will put on your sons and daughters. And so you will plunder the Egyptians. Next, God responds to Moses' fear of the Israelites' doubts. God knows what it will take for the Israelites to believe Moses. So he gives Moses three signs to show to them. Now these epic, epic signs appear as we read through chapter 4. First, Moses' staff turns into a snake, then back again when he grabs its tail. Next, he puts his hand inside his cloak, and when he takes it out, it's turned leprous. He puts it back inside his cloak, and his skin is restored. Now if those two signs are not enough, God tells Moses to take water from the Nile and pour it on dry ground, where it will become blood. God's plan was not to send Moses back to Egypt so that he could crash and burn, making a fool of himself, maybe even getting himself killed by the Pharaoh or the Israelites. No, God promised to go before Moses, preparing the way so that he would be successful in this task that God has called him to. But once again, Moses is afraid. And this time, his fears have shifted from being externally motivated and are now internally motivated. Because, friends, the third force which drives our fears is our own sense of self. Our doubts and our worries, our anxieties, our perception of our skills and abilities, all of these work together to drive our fear. When you think of the leader of a nation, you anticipate that it would be someone with strong communication skills. And Moses knows this. He knows that whoever leads the people of Israel out of slavery should be someone who can cast vision and deliver motivational speeches. But Moses is totally unqualified and unable to meet the requirements of this job description. In chapter 4, verse 10, he turns to God and he says, Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and tongue. Moses looks at himself, considers his shortcomings, his inabilities, his flaws, and ultimately he determines that he is not fit for this job. Moses probably says, hey God, thanks for the opportunity. I'm really flattered that you would even consider me to be the guy who leads Israel out of Egypt, but 
I'm just not good enough. You know, public speaking is so not my thing. So you'll probably just want to find someone else to do it. Uh, if you ever want any tips on how to tend a flock of sheep, I'm totally your guy. Uh, I can lead any herd of sheep that you send my way, but I can't shepherd your people. You know, at this point, God is probably reaching the end of his rope. Uh, he turns to Moses and he says, who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? When our fears are driven by our sense of self, God responds and he says, I have created you and I have called you. Moses is overcome by these feelings of inadequacy, but from God's perspective, there is no reason for it. The truth is, God never needed Moses to bring the Israelites out of Egypt. God is the creator and sovereign ruler of this world. He maintains power and control over all and could have liberated the Israelites without the help of any human being. In fact, it probably would have been easier to just do it without Moses. Even so, God chose to call Moses and use him in the redemption plan he had for Israel. I don't know if Moses would have changed his mind any sooner if he knew how his story ends, but these are the final words written about Moses in Deuteronomy 34. Since then, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, who did all those signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do in Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his officials and to his whole land. For no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. If Moses had allowed his fear to drive his decisions, he would have never moved forward in God's calling. All that he accomplishes during the 40 years spent leading Israel would have never been his reality. And so all this begs the question, what's driving your fears today? And how will God respond to you? I had my own sort of burning bush moment last year. Um, although my burning bush happened to be a pregnant children's pastor uh, who came to me and asked me to cover her maternity leave. Uh, unlike Moses, I didn't immediately reject uh, the idea of moving forward in God's calling. Um, three years ago, I began working towards my Bachelor of Theology in Children's and Family Ministries at Vanguard College. Uh, the program is basically How to Be a Children's Pastor 101. Uh, so when I was given the opportunity to work as the children's director at Crosspoint, the only logical answer was yes, uh, given that this is essentially the job I want when I graduate. And honestly, I was so excited. I wouldn't be pursuing a career in vocational ministry if I wasn't passionate about it, if I wasn't completely convinced that this is where God is calling me to. You know, I knew that it wouldn't be easy, but in the weeks leading up to my start date, I kind of just pushed that thought to the back of my mind. You know, I figured, I'll worry about it when I have to, and until that point comes, um, I will choose to live in blissful ignorance. Eventually, though, I started, and as soon as I did, 
Reality set in, and the fear was overwhelming. I was afraid because Crosspoint had just moved into this building, and no one was really sure what that meant. Um, I was afraid of having to deal with angry parents or volunteers because I do my best to avoid conflict whenever possible. <laughs> Much like Moses, though, uh, my fear was largely driven by my own sense of self, my own doubts and worries, my own inadequacies. Because I was a 20-year-old college student who had no idea what it took to run a children's ministry. You know, I've taken classes that told me why children's ministry is important. Um, I can tell you what anthropomorphism means. Um, I'm even confident in my ability to explain the Trinity to a group of eight-year-olds. Uh, but all that knowledge felt pretty useless as I sat behind my new desk in my new office and wondered at what I had gotten myself into. Ultimately, I was afraid of failure. My fears were driven by a sense of inadequacy, uh, the fear that I would not be good enough at this job, and that somehow the entire ministry would come crashing down because of me. Many of my fears were irrational. Uh, I was afraid that every family would leave because they didn't like me. I was, I was afraid that the spot-on volunteers would all quit because I didn't know how to lead them well. Um, and I was afraid that I would do or say something that would somehow cause every kid to lose their faith in God and turn to a life of crime. <laughs> Looking back now, I can recognize that it was silly to have those fears. Uh, but at the time, the fears were very real. I was constantly in danger of allowing those fears to sit in the driver's seat and take control of my life. Obviously, the fact that I'm standing here today is a pretty good indication that I wasn't totally overcome by fear. You know, part of that is that I signed a contract that said I would work here until July, um, and I don't want to break the contract. Um, but there is something so much greater than legal obligations that allowed me to overcome my fear. And so the question that you need to ask yourself today is not just what is driving my fears, but who is driving out my fears? When Moses looked around and saw all these circumstances that would make it impossible for him to lead the Israelites out of Egypt and out of slavery, God said, I will be with you. In the Gospel of Matthew, when Jesus commissions his disciples to go into the world, sharing the gospel and making disciples of all nations, he says, Surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age. In the midst of our fears, Jesus makes that same promise, the promise that I will be with you. Scripture assures us that nothing will separate us from Christ, Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation. Nothing will separate us from Jesus' promise that I will be with you. When Moses' fears are driven by the people around him, God promises that I will go before you. And again, Jesus' promises the same thing to us today. When I was a kid, 
Uh, my family would often spend our evenings out together on a bike ride. There was a lake near our house with beautiful bike paths that we frequented, and it was a really lovely way to take advantage of our two months of summer here in Alberta. But there was this one section of the path that was right up against the lake, and so there was almost always this gaggle of geese standing smack dab in the middle of it. Now, I believed this then, and I believe it now. Geese are pure evil. <laughs> Nothing you can say will ever convince me otherwise. And if you tell me that you are not terrified of geese, you are a liar. See, I loved our family bike rides, but I also hated them, knowing that it was inevitable that we would happen upon this gang of bloodthirsty geese. To this day, if I am out for a run or a bike ride and I encounter a group of geese blocking the path, I will turn around and go the other way. My dad, of course, does not share this same mindset, which meant that every time we would have to race our bikes through the geese. And although this terrified me, I found that I could do it because my dad always went first. My dad went before me, making this path in between the geese for me to follow. You know, I was still scared when I was in the midst of this terror, but I had so much confidence in knowing that my dad had gone first, my dad had gone before me. And in the same way, when we're up against trials and challenges and these forces that are driving our fears, we can have confidence in knowing that Jesus has gone before us. He has cleared this path. He has made this way for us to follow him through our fears. We can have confidence in knowing that Jesus has gone before us. So Jesus' promise today is that he is with us, he goes before us, and that he has both created and called us. We look at Moses and we see that whatever speech impediment he had was not enough to stop God from using him to lead all of Israel out of Egypt. When God created Moses, he could have made him to be a perfect public speaker with charisma and confidence and eloquent speech. But that wasn't what mattered to God. Because whatever God has called you to, he has created you for. Ephesians says that we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. So whatever doubts you have about the person that you are, that will never be enough to stop God from calling you and using you for good works. I'm going to invite the band up as we close. We all have fears. We all have different forces that are driving those fears. But Jesus is our liberator. In Jesus, we find freedom. And Jesus is the one who will drive out your fear. Now, there are still days when I'm at this job and I feel overwhelmed. I feel fear creeping back in. But every day, I know that I can overcome those fears because I turn to Jesus. He goes with you. He goes before you. And he has created and called you. Let's pray.
Thank you, Lord, that the promises you've made throughout Scripture are promises that you still make to us today. When we are in the midst of trials and challenges, when we are ready to let fear take over, would you simply remind us of the truths of your word? Thank you that you are always God, that you are always good, and that nothing will ever change that. We love you and we praise your name. Amen. Well, thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope it's helped you in your spiritual journey and it's helped you draw closer to God. Let me tell you a little bit about us. Crosspoint gathers as one church on Sundays in Northeast Edmonton. And you can find out our location and more about us by visiting our website, thecrosspointchurch.ca. We also meet throughout the week throughout Edmonton in what we call home groups. These are smaller communities of learning, laughter, community, uh, transformation. We, we think that the journey of faith was never intended to be an independent exercise. It's, it's something that we do together. So please visit our website and find out how you can get connected to a home group near you. If you listen to our podcast regularly, why not make it shareable? You could like us on iTunes or share our podcast with other people. But more importantly, we hope you will get connected with other people and talk about what you've learned. Again, hey, thanks for listening. We pray you'll experience Christ's love in a very real and profound way this week.